1: I'm almost, it's almost bedtime.
0: You're heading wa- You're drinking water on a roundup, Erin Merrill. I
1: know. I'm a novice.
0: You, Cody's going to shoot you. He's, you know, he's the agave drinker of this podcast. And I I'm not drinking, some- I'm not drinking whiskey. I'm drinking, Cody's going to give me crap for it as well. I'm drinking, I like my fruity beers. So this is a sour ale.
1: Right. You, t- you were telling me that you were drinking that while eating zebra the other day. It's
0: guava. Jelly and I just had a bowl. I just finished the last bowl of note zebra, zebra, jelly.
1: <laughs> to the un- why is it a
0: zebra, Aaron? Why did you? Why is it?
1: Oh no! Because
0: they don't occur in America.
1: No, they don't. That's so you can't zebra. call them zebras. Or if you're up in it be a zebra.
0: <laughs> a zebra.
1: I'll work on that.
0: Well, uh, Aaron Merrill, welcome to the Blood Origins podcast. Um, a lot of people have maybe heard you before. You've been on the podcast before we featured you. Um, obviously, I get to know Blood Origins. You are, as we call, one of the team. Yes. That bugged me and bugged me and bugged me and said, just let me work for you. You need help. You're disorganized. You need help. Yep. Period.
1: Yep. How are you fundraising? Let me help you.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. You idiot! You're a scientist. What are you doing? Same thing as Cody. Right. Uh, that. Uh, exactly. So it's um, it's good. It's good to have you. If people don't know, like, what you do, because obviously Blood Origins is not your day job, like it's not mine. Um, Aaron Merrill, what do you do? Where Where do you live? All the good stuff about
1: you. All the good stuff. I live up in Maine. Um, day job, I raise money for a early childhood um, center. We work with kiddos six weeks through age five and their families, uh, primarily from low-income backgrounds, so that we can get those kiddos ready to start school and learn, and we can help those parents figure out how to advocate for themselves and their families. So that's the day job. Then the side hustles, I write my blog, which is and a strong cup of coffee. Plus, I work for Drury Outdoors. Plus, I write for a regional magazine. Plus, I'm the director of business operations for Blood Origins.
0: Ooh, what a title. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And we appreciate you, and we appreciate everything that you do for us. It's fantastic. So, yeah, no, it's good. And uh, as you said, it's, it's, it's just... We're a very small, nimble bunch, and uh, we do everything. All of our hats are on, and um, yeah, so we're happy to have you.
1: Thank you. Well, and it's it's amazing when you think about the network of supporters you have across the globe. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 us, but it's not us, um, which is which is the really cool part. When I go through my emails and I see people from Germany and France and South Africa and. You know, Sweden, texted, Australia, and, New right. Zealand. I mean, it just yeah. it speaks to how truly worldwide this conservation movement really is.
0: Mm-hmm. It's impressive. Yeah, it's impressive. But jeez, it's humbling. It is. Gosh. From just this idea four years ago to this thing now that is in 26 different countries.
1: Right? Now almost five years. It's almost time for the five-year birthday kickoff. October. I know.
0: October. Four and a half, four and one quarter,
1: maybe. Right, I don't know. Right, right. If you were my kids, you would have it down to, like, the number of months and weeks and days until the birthday.
0: Yeah, well, we may put one of those countdowns on Instagram. Not that anyone would follow it. It doesn't matter. I would. Um, we did have a text message come in to our text line. If everyone that's listening to the Roundup right now doesn't know, that uh, you can text Blood Origins. You can text us anything that you hear on the Roundup. You can text us uh, ideas. You can text us thoughts. You can text us questions, and we'll answer them here on the Roundup. And Dave is a regular that sends us texts, and he said, thank you, great Roundup last week. And he was talking about this is before the Derek Wolf Roundup. Uh, Oh, by the way, Derek Wolf Roundup, Mm -hmm. uh, obviously you're on the text message stream today. I texted everyone around the world, not the, uh, literally around the world, but mostly in the United States, that Blood Origins has officially made it. Like we've made it. And why is that? Because we were in Sports Illustrated. Woohoo! Sports Illustrated with a link to a Blood Origins podcast because Derek Wolf happened to just say that his, his hip is rehabbing well. He just doesn't know what's happening. And obviously, media, the way that media is, Decided to take that, that he's retiring. And so all of the Baltimore news article, news outlets, social media outlets that are tied to sports have our podcast <laughs> linked in the news. Sports Illustrated has it linked in the news. And then uh, NFL Trade Rumors website has us linked in their news as well.
1: That's amazing.
0: I'm just waiting for TMZ Sports, the original article that we brought up to. Highlight that as well and putting our podcast into it. That would be true full circle material right there. Yep.
1: Screenshot that.
0: Anyway, Dave talks about lead Mm -hmm. and um, limiting the lead use. And we talked about this and and he was a big in favor of leaving it up to the individual versus through legislation. I agree that legislation is not the answer. Many people will simply choose to use lead free because that's what they desire now that our ammunition is catching up in performance. We're in a similar place in the fishing world where many anglers are switching to tungsten weights and jigs because they're about twice as dense and perform better in a lot of scenarios. Right. I ble- believe we're seeing this in the tungsten turkey loads now and bismuth alloy is a great alternative because it's nearly the same density as lead. Mm-hmm. What your thoughts on uh, banning of lead or lead, lead free or whatnots?
1: We've had a big push because um, it was killing a lot of the loons up in Maine. And so, loons. loons
0: no, or, I know what loons are. I know. Fancy bird that migrates far, fast distances.
1: Right. And so they were finding a lot of, of loons that had lead poisoning because of the uh, the fishing gear that would end up in the waters. So we've we've been doing a lot of stuff to prevent that from happening.
0: There was a Deepwater Horizon restoration project on loons in Minnesota because they were in the Gulf at the time of the oil spill. Yeah.
1: And
0: that's the only reason why I know what a loon is.
1: Really? <laughs> you know when you've been up in Maine, you haven't seen them or heard them? Or? It's
0: the same thing as a bloody black bear. I've never seen, I've seen three black bears. and know. It's, you know. It's just like loons. I don't see loons in Maine. I don't see black bears either.
1: <laughs> and then Jesse goes out and like, sure, I'll go sit in a stand for two hours.
0: Yeah, with perfume, with deodorant on and full, you know, no camera, <laughs> Rifle he's never shot shoots one in 30 minutes.
1: Yeah. Picks it up and throws it over his shoulder and walks back out of the woods. Yeah. It's great stuff.
0: It's great stuff. (laughs) Not that I'm a terrible bear hunter or anything like that. It's
1: because you're baiting them. That's the issue. You got to use hounds or traps. Oh yeah. I think
0: maybe hounds may be my next uh, adventure up there. So there are obviously a couple of little news articles since you're from Maine. I am. There are a couple of news articles coming out of Maine um that we want to cover on the Mm -hmm. the roundup Mm -hmm. where do you want to start you want to start new or you want to start with a little being a little selfish
1: which would both of them are a little selfish um we can start with the sunday hunting one since that's fresh off the presses
0: all right let's do it
1: we're not gonna do it
0: no i said let's do it
1: no i know i said you're You know, we're not going to do it and you can't make us.
0: Yeah. So what's the deal? Right. So then you, you've got this. um,
1: So initially the. Everyone
0: else in the country. thinks Right. It's a terrible idea. You guys should be having hunting on a Sunday. Yes. Yet.
1: Let me get this straight.
0: Hunting organizations. Yes. And conservation organizations. Yes are opposed to it in Maine.
1: hmm I know. So, Maine, the way that the bill was written, the current bill, I think we've had something like 30 Sunday hunting bills in the past 45 years. Um, this current wow, one... Wow, really? Yeah, we're not going to do it. <sighs> we're not going to do it. Um, the way this one was written, it basically cut the state in half And it said, if you're north of Route 2, then you can hunt on Sundays on your own land or with written permission. The big sticking point was with written permission. Maine is 90, 94% privately owned. Okay. And so as long as there's no posted sign on a piece of land, you can go hunt it. You don't need permission. You can, it's wide open. So if you add the caveat that you have to have written permission, potentially you're reverse posting all the land because of mm. the landowner. I could then Not just say, on that
0: day though.
1: Well, but you also have a lot of landowners that are saying we'll post it all. We don't, mm. we don't, we want to be able to go on our land one day a week and be able to do whatever we want to do. If you're going to be out there hunting, I want to know Every day you're going to be out there hunting. So instead of having to come to me for written permission for one day, I'm going to make you do it for the whole season. Mm. So and we, we do. We have a lot of large landowners that they just they don't want it. And so if that's the way things are going to go, then they'll come back and say, then you need written permission to be on the land any season. Well, um, it makes
0: sense, right? It's a trade-off. At the right. end of the day, it's a trade-off on that one day. Mm-hmm. And let's 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 talk about barriers of entry for a second. Barriers of entry into hunting. One of them being place to hunt, right? And obviously season length. So right. if season length was five days versus five months, that's a barrier to right. entry.
1: So you can deer hunt in Maine, depending on if you're going to use archery. Rifle or muzzle loading from the middle of September to the middle of December. So it's a pretty long season depending on what method you want to use. Hmm. And that's only deer. you know bear season runs August through the end of November, depending on which method you can trap year round you you know turkeys are fall and spring.
0: so you can trap fur bearers year round
1: yes uh, well you can. Different times of the season throughout the whole year. Um, If you're going to coyote hunt, you can do that all the time. You see a coyote, you can shoot it in Maine. Okay. Um, And you can night hunt for most of the year doing that with a $10 permit. And then basically once bear season starts, you can't night hunt through when deer season wraps up. Okay. So depending on... Super liberal. Super
0: liberal. Like super liberal opportunities to hunt. Yes.
1: Yes. And really, you can go, as long as there's no posted sign, you can go on anyone's land and go hunting. Trapping would be a little different because you would have to, you know, really make sure that everything is labeled and you'd want to, you'd want landowner permission for that. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, if you, you know, during deer season, you p- take a rifle, take your bow, walk down, walk through a field. As long as there's no posted sign, you're good to go. So, so yeah,
0: it's it's it is a it is a, actually a massive trade off. Right. In that if
1: and so the past sense. right the past deer season, we we had the, one of the largest deer kills that we've had in years. We've had high high record number of new hunters coming onto the landscape, and you still can't hunt on Sundays. So that's you know looking at those two stats, that's not a hindrance keeping people out. of the the hunting realm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then there's always the argument about um, the number of animals killed, because if you're going to add however many more days to the calendar to go hunting, will that then mean that deer season ends earlier in order to make sure that you're being sustainable on the number of animals you're taking? No, but it might take a few years to get to that.
0: Yeah, Maine is not hitting – are they hitting their quota every year in terms of number of deer that they want to take?
1: This year this year we did. Yeah, bear we're not. Moose we didn't.
0: Jeez, I don't even think the state of Mississippi has a number like that. We've just got so many deer, right? It's like I can get eight deer on my my license.
1: Wow. See, and they're talking about opening it up for doe permits because right now you have to apply for one. Mm. They give them out very liberally. Um, But you, unless you're in a certain zone, you can only take one deer. So I had a doe permit last year. When I shot one deer, I was done, regardless of if I took that doe or not.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Is your deer population going up, do you think?
1: Yeah. Yep. Because we've had, and part of that's, I mean, we haven't really had any good, I say good, Um, we haven't had any really hard winters the past two or three years. So it's not like we have that natural sort of die off in the winter. They're not yarding up the way that they typically do. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, yes, yesterday, I think we had 15 deer run across the road in front of us and they didn't look sickly. They didn't look like they had had a rough winter. They looked, they look like they do in the fall when you want, (laughs) when you want to fill your freezer.
0: Yeah, I remember what when Craig, what Craig was saying up where he lives, um, Brownsville, right, close yep. to Brownsville, and he says in the winter it's just like hundreds of deer in town, essentially. Well, they, they just like pour there. out of the woods. Yeah, they,
1: they feed them, which I'm totally against, but they have like this big, they put out troughs and literally feed them.
0: Hmm. Not a big fan, are you?
1: I'm not just because of all the, I am not a scientist, but pulling a whole bunch of animals and making them dependent on a food source. That is not a natural food source. You have more coyotes, more car accidents. No. Nope. Okay. That's my take. Fair
0: enough. Fair (laughs) enough. Fair enough. Well, let's not leave Maine uh, too soon. Let's, um, there is another article that uh, we wanted to talk about, one that is written by someone we know. Yeah. Drumroll, Aaron Merrill. Yay. So let's talk about PFAS
1: oh,
0: in soils. Yes. Uh we got a little bit of a um when we posted this about your article, we got a little bit of people like giving us a little bit of flack about it I because know. It's like conspiracy theory. Why are you making people upset? Why are you making people concerned? You know, why are you scaring people?
1: Because it's terrifying. Is it really? I think it is. So when you... Okay. So let's
0: start again. Start at the, the beginning. Yeah. Nobody knows what PFAS is. Very,
1: very beginning. Nobody
0: knows what the situation is.
1: So PFAS are called Forever Chemicals. They came... They were part That's not of... what
0: PFAS stands for.
1: Oh, I'd have to look it up. It's late.
0: Polyfluoroacetate, Polyfluoro, Poly- yeah. f- acetylene something. Yes. I'll look it up whilst you're explaining.
1: Okay. So we also have a lot of paper mills in this state. And back in the 80s through. Her
0: and polyfluoroalkyl substances.
1: See? Yes. Also known as PFAS. <laughs>
0: Otherwise known as forever chemicals.
1: Yes, yes, yes. Um, so all all the farmers across the state got licenses to be able to get some industrial waste from the mills and spread it on fields as part of fertilizer. And where, where I grew up, I would be able to tell based on the smell what kind of animal and or sludge was being spread on the fields that day. So this happens for years. There is um, a town nearby called Fairfield, Maine, and they started having incredibly high rates of uh, cancer, and so they started doing testing of their water, and the wells were coming back, I think like normal PFAS levels are like 70 parts per billion, and these were coming back 20,000 and 30,000, so just astronomically high.
0: Yeah, two orders of magnitude higher
1: so then they started testing the soil and that too was coming back incredibly high. And then they started testing animals and eggs. And suddenly the cows that were near the farms had high levels and had to be killed and nobody would eat them because they were trying to figure out how do you, you know, it's not like CWD where you just, you don't want to, you know the animal looks sick. You don't want to eat it. You leave it alone. We're talking like decades of mm. this stuff in the soil. It it just contaminates everything. So all the grass, all the water gets consumed by animals. The animals pick up these forever chemicals in their bodies. I come out and kill this animal. I eat this animal. Then the potentially the PFAS are in my bodies, and PFAS cause ca- you know cancer and thyroid issues and. Liver damage. I mean, it's just not good stuff.
0: Yeah, you know, it so, says here on the EPA website what we don't fully understand yet. Uh, critical questions about PFAS. You know how harmful PFAS are to people and the environment. Uh, you know how to better and more efficiently detect and measure PFAS in air, water, soil, fish, and wildlife. Mm-hmm. So,
1: so this fall they were doing tests on some of the nearby ponds as part of like a fisheries test and somebody offhandedly said, well, Hey, what about deer? So the department of inland fisheries and wildlife called a few deer and found that they were testing positive for PFAS. So they immediately sent out a do not eat order and it, the order hit everybody's mailboxes two weeks into the rifle season, which is the middle of November. So at this point you could have potentially killed a deer anywhere from the middle of September through the middle of November and have been consuming that deer. In addition to the deer you might've killed last year or the year before or the year before. Um, And so they basically said, don't eat the deer that you have killed in this area because we're trying to do more testing. So we are up to 700 different sites across the state of Maine that are being tested. Um, And part of my article that I wrote for Deercast pulls up a map that has potential sites all across the country in which, and I mean, it was totally legal. Farmers were getting licenses to do this. It wasn't like they willingly put on, you know, these horrible chemicals knowing that it was going to have this impact to them because farmers are losing their livelihoods. mm -hmm. You know, they don't want to, they don't want to have an organic farm. When they know they have PFAS in their eggs and in their chickens and, Mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's not what they're doing. That's not what they want to do. So we're dealing with an economic impact as well as a health, health, community health impact.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's certainly interesting and um, something to keep our eyes on. Right. Um, Yeah, interesting stuff, man. Interesting stuff.
1: We're quiet in the Northeast, but we keep things interesting.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely right now. Um I'm looking through our articles. I don't think oh we've got another one. Let's stick with the Northeast for right now. Yeah. Um Jump to so Vermont. Verm- Let's talk about Vermont, 'cause um I believe that Maine has the same issue. Uh-huh. And so this article is out of the the VT Digger dot org. And it says, Vermont plans for another fall moose hunting season to reduce the moose population. So there's actually more tags, more opportunity to hunt moose Mm -hmm. in Vermont this year. And it's all based on the idea of reducing winter born tick disease, right?
1: Winter ticks, yep.
0: Winter ticks. So what's the issue here, Miss? I'm from the Northeast and I know what's going on.
1: I do. We did the same thing in Zone Four of our moose hunt. Um, so, biologists, the difference between a moose tick and a deer tick is that once the moose ticks attach, they just stay on the moose, and they just drain it of blood. So, it's a higher risk for um, calves and for weaker moose coming out of the um, winter. So, what we did and what Vermont's going to do, you just it's you think about like the social carrying capacity of of moose in a certain zone, the more moose you have, the more likely it is that that whole, the diseases, the ticks are going to spread from one to another. So if they don't have a host, then ideally the ticks will just die off and not spread mm-hmm. to another animal, to another animal. Um, mm-hmm. so we, yeah. Are they
0: species specific to moose, these yes. ticks?
1: hmm Okay. And they're nasty things. They look like, Nickel or quarter size, just when they're filled up, full of blood. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, we'll be out, you know, snowmobiling, and you'll see these drops of blood. And like at one point, we were snowmobiling, and you you see it almost like you're. I mean, you're tracking a blood, you know, blood everywhere. And we came upon a a moose that was not dead, but close to being dead. And just, I mean, skin it's disgusting. I hate ticks, but just. He was crawling with them. And so the biologist came out and and killed him. Just Oh, my gosh. Um, But that's why, because they want to make sure that there are fewer moose on the landscape to try to get these ticks to go away.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, this article says the ticks ticks cannot spread as easily in lower density moose populations leading to a focus uh, in certain specific regions of the state. Right. Where there is currently more than one moose per square mile, moose densities greater than one per square mile support high numbers of winter ticks, which negatively impact moose health yeah. and survival. So, if you ever wanted to hunt moose in the Northeast, Vermont may be the way. Um, right. In 2021, the program drew almost 6,000 applicants. I think I was—I think I got preference points in Vermont for 100 permits. A total, of 62 moose were killed, um, and they have. They plan to issue 60 either six moose. Um, it sounds like an additional 100. Yeah. Yep. An additional 100. So there'll be 200 moose tags available in Vermont. Yep. Doubling the opportunities. Right. Interesting. Do it. Um, I want to see if I can get this bloody um article to play the next one. So I want to jump across to Colorado to the uh, the veterinary medicine board member that's facing animal cruelty charges. Oh, yeah. Let's see. Did I send it to you via text? Actually, no, I'll pull it up this way. Um, so this this came to me. Somebody texted to me. I can't remember who on Instagram. And they said, look at the freaking uh-huh. hypocrisy of this. So this woman was appointed to essentially the, the veterinary board, the state veterinary board of medicine to ensure animal health. Right. To ensure animal safety and the welfare of animals. And now she has been arrested and faces charges of animal cruelty herself. Uh-huh. And she was one of the big proponents of, you know, bringing wolves into the system, is very much an anti-hunter. Um, let me find it here. Cause I want to, cause it's a video and I want everyone to hear this. Let's see if I can get it loud enough. Oh, you're going to have to listen to an ad. No, I'll, I'll put it on mute for the ad. Uh, because it's such a bloody good video that you just have to hear it for yourself.
1: Just, um, the photos were awful oh the photos in the video okay. are
0: awful so if you guys want to watch this video it's on CBS Denver the article is veterinary medicine board member faces animal cruelty charges and uh, here's the here's the news article.
1: Tonight, a woman appointed by Governor Polis to safeguard the health, safety, and welfare of animals in our state is facing animal cruelty charges. These are pictures from Jefferson County Animal Control. They took inside Ellen Kessler's home last Horrible week. Horrible pictures. So recently, Kessler was on the State Board of Veterinary Medicine, which licenses and regulates veterinarians in the state of Colorado. Investigators say they found 13 birds in terrible conditions. One of the birds, they say, was dead, and another bird later died at the vet's office. Kessler resigned from the board earlier this year after a controversial Facebook post in which she called Colorado ranchers lazy and nasty. We were unable to reach Kessler for comment.
0: Lazy and nasty. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. If you think uh, ranchers are lazy and nasty, we I refer to refer back to last Thursday's podcast with Dave Gittleson out of Colorado in which we, Dave Gittleson is the first rancher in the state of Colorado to have lost cows to wolves. How was that? How ironic is that?
1: You You can't make this up and yet at the same time I feel like the people that complain the loudest are the ones that are guilty of it. Just, oh, the photos. You I don't know. You just, you can't help but cringe.
0: It is cringeworthy. If you, if you watch that video and you watch the art, the the pieces in it, it's certainly, certainly, certainly cringeworthy. (sighs) Not that we're very doing very good in segues, but talking about cringeworthy Mm -hmm. news. Did you see the news out of Wyoming? Yes. And the articles. I don't think that's
1: cringeworthy at all.
0: For some, maybe. For right. others, not. Right. It just depends on how fresh
1: yes. yes.
0: the incident is that you come across. So on right. the Daily Wire, you can find an article called Road Grill. Yeah. A new app lets people claim roadkill so they can eat it. And the article says, why we may not be seen as a technological hub on the leading edge of innovation, but the state has just introduced an app that may be the first of its kind this winter. Uh, this, sorry, this winter, Wyoming rolled out an app that lets people claim the animal. They just hit with the cost. They can serve it for dinner. You say, yeah, like you're so enthusiastic.
1: I've done it before.
0: You purposely hit an animal no. and then claim that it was going no. to be the road killed it.
1: No, 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 no. I, I watched a guy cold clock a doe and he was mortified and I pulled over and was like, Hey, you going to take that home? No, I had to, I had to go back to the house and get the gun, and and finish off. But all I had to do was call the, um, like dispatch, and they put me in contact with the animal control folks or whomever it was. I gave them my license number. They gave me a tag number. Done.
0: Yeah. So this app just allows somebody to do essentially that thing, right? Mm-hmm. You, you may see someone or you hit it yourself. Right. And you're able to connect in with the the Game and Fish um, as well as Wyoming Department of Transportation because they're, ut- ut- they're utilizing it from a understanding of where collisions are occurring, how they're occurring, times of day. All of those kinds of statistics that would be very, very valuable for right. transportation understanding, you know, for these big overpasses that they're building or underpasses that they're building. I cannot say that I have ever eaten roadkill. I'm sorry.
1: It's it, I don't. I mean, I guess it depends. I don't know. I watched. I watched her get hit, and I guess for me, I'd rather take it home and.
0: Oh, I get it. Yeah. I've just never been in that situation, like when it happens right then and there. Right then and there. Or have I? You know, I've, I've seen dead deer.
1: Yeah, but if you can't tell, like if you can't see it happen or come up on it, and like the car is still po- like my neighbor, my neighbor hit one in the same spot as the other guy. And I was the first person she texted. It's like, hey, my freezer's full. Do you want this deer? No.
0: I just, but I know people are out there that will see a deer and check it.
1: I'm not going to pull over just to see how fresh it is.
0: Hmm. I don't think I'm going to do that. But one of the, the, again, one of the, um, Somebody that's been on this podcast before, Jaden Bales, who's in the Wyoming Wildlife Federation, is mm-hmm. quoted in this article. And another part to it is whenever you've got a roadkill occurring, um, it's typically gonna attract predators and raptors and stuff like that, which um you know may pull, you know, reduce that type of collision or mm-hmm. any other ancillary efforts that come from it, right?
1: Wasn't there something about them sending in the like a sample to get tested for CHD too? CWD? CHD? I know, it's late. <laughs> it's after my bedtime.
0: Um, I didn't see that, but I'm sure that that's something um, oh, that I definitely could be, could be used. Um... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, he... Yeah, sent a lymph node from the deer that was... Well, that was
0: just because he—it was someone else that he just did it for his own edification.
1: Well, well, I would think that would help a little bit for monitoring that sort of thing. If you have extra samples that are coming in,
0: all right, let's do one more, and we'll we'll wrap this up as a short roundup this week. Um, I'm like
1: bombing it, Corey, er, are you, Cody's going to tell me that I'm not doing a good job, and that's why we're wrapping. No, it.
0: You're not, you're not bombing it. Uh, you're tired.
1: It's 8.30 here. It's late.
0: Oh, I get it. I'm, I'm like you. I, I've become a night owl or disappear.
1: It's because we have kids.
0: 100%. All right, in your mind, there's an article by in the Democrat and the Chronicle. Yes. That asks the question. Yes. What's the greatest conservation success in U.S. history? Yeah. So what do you think? What would you say would be the greatest success story in U.S. history?
1: I don't know. I wanted to think it was something wonderful, like elk. But, because I I don't. It wasn't my first choice, but I agree with their choice.
0: What is their choice? Turkey. Oh, Turkeys is the most the greatest conservation success story in the US history. Those of you that uh, can remember our text message number, uh, text message six two zero eight six zero four eight zero four. That's six two zero eight six zero four eight zero four. What do you think is the greatest conservation success story? Let us know. We'll talk about it next week on the roundup as well. Yes. Or you can email us info at bloodorigins.com if that's easier for you. Um, are you with him? So you agree? You agree? Turkey is it?
1: I mean, we, the state of Maine, didn't have any for the longest time, and they've reintroduced them, and they have taken off so much that we are now sending them to East Texas to get repopulated back down there. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. It's
0: like, you didn't have white-tailed deer either, though.
1: We've always had deer.
0: Hmm. You had zero turkeys.
1: We didn't have any. Yeah, they reintroduced them back in like the eighties, I think.
0: They were completely extirpated from the state of Maine.
1: Yes, and I wasn't alive at that point, at that time. I don't like them. I think they're <laughs> <not> just. <laughs> but I've only ever known turkeys. I mean, we've gone from you can only hunt them until noon when you're out hunting to kill two in the spring and kill five in the fall because there's so wow. many of them. And so we're, a ton. we're shipping. I think it's fifty. We did 50 last year, 50 this year, 50 next year to Texas because there's so many of them. Yeah, I don't know, man.
0: It's a toss-up for me. It's a toss-up between white-tailed deer and turkeys. And this article really does do a little bit of a an opinion piece between descri- just sort of discussing between the two of them um, you know what was better the deer hunting, given that there were less than three hundred thousand deer in the u s and today they reckon there's about thirty two million deer mm-hmm. um versus the turkey right they reckon total 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 wild turkey population is about seven and a half million birds right now um and this guy's obviously you know when and they think there were less than twelve thousand birds. I don't know. So, about that. yeah, I don't know. How do you, you know, we get, we get accused a lot of the times like, how do you know that number? Right, right. Where'd you get that number from? It's like,
1: it's,
0: it was a very low number. Right. Okay. 12,000, 30,000, 100,000. Yeah. You didn't
1: see low them. Number. Now they're everywhere. It's a good, a good conservation comeback.
0: Right. Absolutely. Um, No, and I I think that there's uh, these successes all around the the U.S., right? You've got most of your duck species can be considered conservation success stories. Pronghorn antelope, Rocky Mountain elk, mule deer, they're all flourishing. Like John Bear says, we have wildlife. Yes.
1: Right. and we we uh, hunt wildlife. Right. We've done that. You know, we've put those restrictions on ourselves. We've, you know, all the hunters, conservationists, that's – that's our end goal. It's not to go out and kill something. We want to be able to go out and see the animals too. And so, you know, if, I, if I'm only allowed to kill one deer a year, but that means that the population's healthy, I'm willing to do that.
0: What do you think about the idea, because we get this a lot too, when someone says hunting actually didn't save the wildlife, regulations did.
1: I say without my hunting license dollars. The biologists can't do their jobs. They can't say that's one of my that's one of my go tos when people complain about hunting in Maine. It's like yeah, but the salamanders and those vernal pools. The biologists are getting paid through my hunting dollars. Mm-hmm. It's not like the you know, and just because you're anti hunt, I don't see anti hunters pouring in the kinds of hundreds of thousands of millions of dollars into conservation efforts, the way that hunters yeah. are. And so even though though I'm not going to benefit, well, I won't necessarily benefit from that salamander. It's helping us understand the overall impacts of climate change and the overall impacts of the world that we're currently living in. And it's helping us have a more biodiverse ecosystem.
0: Mm -hmm. You don't really answer the question, though. I know. (laughs) Oh, because it's late, right? Because it's late. I um. Let's uh, Let's do a little bit of admin to the end. Firstly, uh-huh. if you did not listen to the podcast that dropped last week, I don't know what you were doing. And if you've you've reached this part of the roundup, I want you to go back because last week we had Derek Wolf on the roundup, which was huge. Uh-huh. Two, secondly, we had a guy called Rafael Sanchez out of a national park, a forestry engineer out of a national park in Spain called Cabaneros, in which they are going to have to, take out a lot of animals because of a hunting ban that got put in place 18 months ago that now is being reversed essentially by the government to tell the hunters you need to now take out this many animals because the carrying capacity is way right. over the habitat that the ha- that the habitat can handle. And then on Thursday, again, as we mentioned earlier in this podcast, Dave Gittleson, Colorado rancher, uh, his ranch is right next door to where the first pack has set up in the state of Colorado. There is a formalized pack now and, and you just listen to him. He's, he's, he doesn't want to exterminate them, but he wants you to understand the predicament that he is in. It's a despondent, sad, um, rancher. Who's like, I just need some help. And I right. want people to, um, I want people to really help us, uh, understand this issue. So. Um, have a listen to those three podcasts. Um, always, uh, if you like what we do and you see what we do every single day on Instagram and, and Facebook and social media and all the articles that we're putting out and the people that we're engaging, you can support us through our supporters program, three bucks, four bucks, five bucks a month, the cost of a cup of coffee a month, mm-hmm. essentially your Starbucks latte, uh, just buy a second one essentially through us. Right. And you get put into a bunch of sweepstakes every month, right?
1: Yes, you do. Lots of great. What do we
0: have on the books for this Uh-oh. month?
1: We have all kinds of amazing things. Um, but before I list them, I also want to know what people think about Success Untold, and if they mm. haven't watched it, they need to go watch it.
0: Yeah, fantastic! I think it's up to like two hundred and seventy thousand views on Facebook That's right incredible. now. Incredible!
1: Eleven and
0: a half thousand on YouTube.
1: Oh, it's just so good. Just so good. And it talks, I don't don't know, go watch it and then let us know what you think about it. Um, So for March, we have coffee from Bear Beans, which is delicious. Um, We have a rifle sling from Red Kettle. We have subscriptions to Hunt Score. We have a gift card to First Form. $100 gift card to West Coast Archery. um, Coffee from Dog and Gun we have uh, codes for wildfire
0: got a lot like yeah. 16 things right
1: and and we have a 5 day south african safari
0: yeah with switchstein safaris yes. it's all inclusive all your food all your booze show up at johannesburg south africa oliver will meet you at the airport take you to his beautiful place in the Wartburg mountains it's malaria free don't have to worry about it and you get three trophies uh, and the trophy fees are included in in the package for a blessed buck, a black wildebeest and an impala.
1: It's amazing, and you can win that for, for five dollar, five dollar donation, five dollar month. Yep. What is yep. that? You
0: cannot win it. I said I you cannot win it. Sorry, I can't. Neither can your husband. I
1: know. I need to get my no. friends to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, I'm Cody draw it, so there's no, there's no question.
0: Exactly. I like exactly. I
1: can't, I can't work this week. I gotta go to South Africa.
0: That's right. That's right. Um, and then if you are a brand, if you're an organization, if you're a business, even if you're just a business, a regular business and Mm -hmm. you want to donate to what we do, we have a conservation club in which a monetary donation on a monthly basis, um, just stands next to us. It just essentially announces to the world that you believe in what we do and and why we do it and want to help us and monetarily that's, um. That's everything we need. Right. So get on board, DM us, reach out to us, email us, info at bloodorigins.com, and uh, get involved in the conservation club.
1: Right. I'm a conservation club member under my blog. You are. I am. I am
0: very appreciative of that.
1: I challenge people. It's $50 a month. It's nothing. You put it on the credit card, and the impact that it has is incredible.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Uh, if you want some Blood Origin swag, there's some swag on the shop. I need to put the next country t shirt up. Uh, maybe we do a Spanish one since oh. everything is popping in Spain right now. Um, I may do that. Erin, thank you. Absolutely. Time to go to bed.
1: I know. <laughs> next time I do it, I'll have to like I'll get a stronger drink. And we'll have to make sure that Cody's no, part
0: of it. No, freaking you know, whiskey. Got,
1: it's Poland Springs, so I'm representing the state of Maine.
0: Uh, that would mean, oh, so not Poland, the country no. Poland. It, Poland is in Maine.
1: Poland Springs, yep.
0: Okay. Something else to know.
1: Right. It's all good. Thanks, Aaron. Absolutely. Talk to you later.
0: Ciao. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always.